Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. I've entitled the message today, A Real Rest. A Real Rest. Now, one of the best ways to to guard your heart if everything we do flows from it, is not to be on the defensive, but to be on the offensive. It's not just trying to keep stuff out of our heart, but it's putting the right stuff in. Are you guys with me? Because the the inflow determines the outflow. And we see this all throughout scripture. We see that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We see that from uh, the inside of us, Jesus said, from within you will flow rivers of living water. And so it's important what's going in because that's going to determine what's coming out. Pretty practical, but sometimes I don't know if we think about that too much because I don't know if we have time to think about that too much or make time too much to think about that. In, In Minnesota, there is what is called the quietest room on the planet. I'm sorry, Minneapolis. It's a room that's 99.99% soundproof. We're talking, you, you step into this room and you think you hear stuff. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the quietest room. This is where uh, people test their instruments from music to whirlpool. This is where they test the, the sounds or the decibels of their washing machines. Harley Davidson tests their motorcycles inside of this room. It's, it's a fiberglass room. It has three foot thick fiberglass all the way around. These wedges that you see are made of fiberglass and it's, it's double walled all across, full of steel, concrete, over a foot thick. It is a very quiet place. NASA trains their astronauts in this place. In fact, the gentleman who invented it, he said that he could even hear the artificial valve in his heart tick. And and this is what he said. He said, the quieter that things are, the more things you'll hear. Quieter the room, the more things you'll pick up on. But he said, silence is very unnerving for a lot of people. In fact, most people can only stay in this room for 45 minutes before they get restless and start to beg and scream to get out. It's just, we, we don't always do well with silence. Come on, I think if we look across the board, if we look within our lives, if we look within each other's lives, we can see that we all know how it feels to be restless when there's silence. Isn't it true when the conversation gets awkwardly silent? You just keep, somebody in the conversation is going to keep going, blah, 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 I'm exhausted, but I don't know what else to do. Just fill the gap. Like when we're in, even in church. We got to transition really well because if there's a gap of silence, everybody goes, what's wrong? Transition was terrible. Keep it going. We just don't do well with silence, especially in America in the 21st century. We don't do well with silence. In fact, we do a lot better with noise, chaos, and busyness. In fact, if, if you're in conversations with people on a regular basis and you say, hey, how are you doing today? I think a default response that you'll get at some point, dude, I'm busy. So good, but busy. Super busy. Dude, I've been crazy busy. But, but it's funny because it's kind of a boast 
disguise as a complaint. Because busyness is like a badge of honor in our culture. You could be telling somebody, man, I'm so busy, my life is spinning out of control, I don't know what to do. And the response would be, hey, it could be worse, you could have nothing to do. Man, I'm super busy, yeah, you could have nothing going on. We have all said that at one point or another, including your pastor. I probably said it last week. How you doing? Just busy. Could be worse. Could be doing nothing. Now, I would propose this, that busyness has become a hedge for emptiness in our culture. Because obviously your life cannot possibly be trivial, meaningless, silly, if you are in high demand. If you're busy, if you're booked, every hour on the hour, you got something going on. Now, there is a good busyness. I think there's a difference between fullness and busyness. I think if you looked at Jesus' life, you would look at him and say, wow, he had a full life. He didn't let any grass burn under his feet. But you never really see him chaotic. But you do see him living a full life. There's a difference between a full life and an overflow life or an overfull life. Some psychologists would would say that we have an issue with pathological busyness today. And pathological is, the root is is, is a pathogen, like it's a virus. Like Like we just struggle so much. We just don't have a full life, we have an overloaded life. We're addicted to busy, We're, we're, we're addicted to the fast pace and we dread we dread what we might face in its absence. But most of us would never wake up and say this stuff. Like, you're not like, hey, I just want you to know, busyness is becoming heads for emptiness in my life. I'm dreading what's going to be in the absence of, of, of busyness and chaos and loudness. I'm really dreading silence. None of us would say that. We would say we long for it. We would say we, we, we need it. But we live in a culture now where it's, there's never been more pressure to overwork, to produce, And then we also live in a culture that people don't want to work, but they're still busy. It's like, I'm so busy, you don't even have a job. What are you doing? I'm just busy. It's so true. And it's even crept into the church. Michael Zigarelli says it like this. He interviewed over 20,000 Christians from across the globe, and this was his conclusion, that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. There's just not a whole lot of time to rest and to stop. He identified busyness as one of the key distractions from spiritual health. And his conclusion said that pastors were the worst. Rates us right up there with doctors and hospital administration, like it's just a very demanding role. Dallas Willard said it like this. This was a thesis of his, all of his work. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life and the way of Jesus. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. John Mark Homer, one of the resources I I used for um, this sermon wrote a book based on this thesis statement entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I recommend you read it. It's a great book. It'll be challenging. But when you think about hurry and busyness, it doesn't seem like it's this arch enemy. I mean, we live in the Bay Area. 
It's crazy. I just saw on the new, my little news feed uh, a woman getting kidnapped in Hayward, feet hanging out of the, the car and just driving away. And by the grace of God, they found her and she wasn't harmed or whatever. Just, but there's a lot of stuff happening, like a lot of wicked things. And so sometimes we can think like, hurry, what, what is busyness and hurry? Is it really that big of an issue? Because many times we don't feel like it. We're so used to it. Remember, when something is pathological, you're, just, you're used to it. We're ingrained in this. When you go to Hawaii, Kauai to be exact, and you get in your vehicle, and the speed limit says 40 miles an hour, you feel it. It's a felony offense in Kauai. Like they're like, you have to drive slow on this island. But you feel instantly when you step there, the culture, the pace of life, everything you're looking at, people are like, hurry up. Hurry up. Are you si- Let's go. Stop having a conversation. I'm trying to check out. I mean, you just feel it. You feel it when you pull up to a stoplight. If there's two or three cars, you're going to get in the other lane so you can be ahead. If, if you're in the grocery store, you're pacing the aisles. Which one is short? Should I do the self-checkout? I got about five, got about seven. Let me see if I, we're just pro, we don't even, we just do it. We don't even realize it. But I think that busyness and hurry is an issue underneath a lot of these other issues. I think it's an issue under, uh, it's, a, it's an undergirding issue over outrage and anger and frustration. Priorities. It causes us to put the urgent in front of the important. It creates anxiety. I think it's one of the key things that's a result of and also more and participating more in digital, digital distraction. I think about this, but we don't, we, don't, we don't think about it this way. That sin disconnects you from God, but so does your iPhone. It's just the iPhone is amoral. It's neither right nor wrong. But how much time we spend in the digital distraction space, it can disconnect us from God just like sin. Now, in a different way, of course. Your iPhone is not the devil. Even though it has that little bit in Apple on the back, I'm just saying. It, it's not the devil. It's not the devil. But I, but I think that, I think that, that hurry and busyness is, is, is an undergird of exhaustion, burnout, family breakdown, because we just have so much going on. Luke chapter 10, one of my favorite stories, Jesus was traveling and he entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. Everybody say welcomed. Can I just tell you in this story, if you are a Christian and you've been walking with Jesus for a certain amount of time, you probably have heard the story, I've read it. If you have never heard this story, lean in, it's special. But Martha, a lot of times, is deemed as a wicked woman. She's not. She loves Jesus. She welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his message. But Martha was distracted. The word is pulled about, worried, about all the preparations to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Can I tell you that, that a lot of times busyness and hurry, it leads to distraction, which then leads to distortion and confusion. And so, so, you, so you look at Martha, she welcomed Jesus, but she had her priorities mixed up. She's not doing anything wrong. 
she's preparing, she's serving, she's wanting to make a great meal for Jesus. She welcomes Jesus into her home, but then she proceeds to neglect him in the means of preparing for him. And so what happens is she starts to get a distorted view of God. She starts to get a distorted view of Jesus, and she starts to accuse him of not caring. Isn't it so funny, like, are we create such a busyness in our lives and we can look at God like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? And she's like, don't you care that my sister has left me? And then watch this, to serve by myself. So now serving for her gets distorted because now it's self-focused rather than Christ and others focused. And, and now it's about me. Look, look what I'm doing. Hello. Some of you guys feel like that every day in your house. And you know it, you're, you're just like, don't look, don't say anything. But you feel like you're doing everything. And, and then what happens, instead of depending on Jesus, she starts demanding him. Why don't you tell her? Why don't you get on board, Jesus, with what I got going? So, so distraction creates distortion and confusion. And it wasn't that she didn't have a good theology of Jesus. See, I think that we have a good theology of Jesus. We just struggle to be with Jesus. Like we have great theology. He's the son of God. Some of you guys can get up right here and probably do a better job of the gospel than me. He is the son of God. Live the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, buried, raised, ascended, coming again. God in the flesh. A lot of times we don't have a theological atheism, but we do have a functional atheism. Where, where theologically, yes, we welcome you, Jesus. We know everything about who you are. We just live like you're not. And that's, that's a tough, but none of us would say, like Martha's not like, hey, I'm, I'm a functional atheist. She's just distracted. She's pulled about. She's overloaded. She's got so many things going on. She's misprioritizing. Again, most of us, we live in such a realm. When I say busy, I'm not just saying your task. Some of you, your mind is busy all the time. Like, like there's, there's just no space. Some of you right now, you're like, oh, no. Like, you're, you are a productivity guru. That's great. How's your silence? How is your sitting at the feet of Jesus? What does that look like for you? Because I think many of us, we have so much clutter going on. It's hard to be emotionally healthy. It's hard to be spiritually vibrant. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons why we don't grow. We don't mature. We, be, we remain spiritually infants, spiritual infants. We get tossed back and forth, like Ephesians 4 says, with every wind of doctrine, just because we just don't, we haven't really invested the time to sit at his feet. We welcome you all day long, but we just don't know how to rest in you. We don't know how to be with you. Marriage and families, they don't thrive. We're unable to heal from certain things because we're just, let's go. Let's just get it. Hey, what happened yesterday is so yet Paul said, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what's ahead. And we just, we just start to get a little bit distracted. They were having difficulty in China because, man, everybody was so focused on productivity, they were neglecting relationship. 
So the guys weren't even interested in girls and dating. It was like, no, I got, I got too many other things to do. And all the ladies said, amen. But then just with our sleep, sleep experts say it's not just about the amount of sleep you get, it's about the type of sleep that you get. Oh, we're everybody's sleep experts today because it's popular. We got our, our watches tell us how long we sleep. We have apps. We have everything to tell us. Still don't use them a lot. But we can tell you we need REM sleep and that if you don't get REM sleep, negative things will come. It can make you unhealthy, yada, yada, yada. In other words, there are some things that we only can get done when we rest. There are some things I would propose to you that God wants to impart to us that we will never be able to grab a hold of until we slow down. Martha loved Jesus. She just didn't know how to rest in Jesus. And if I tell you just this today, if you don't hear anything I say, hear this. If you don't rest, you won't last. You can last for a long time, but you won't last. You won't thrive. What do you mean? Well, you won't last, number one, emotionally. You're not going to last emotionally. There are so many things that keep us from dealing with our life. There are so many things that keep us from actually, not just doing life with God, but dealing with our issues. We don't need to deal with anything anymore. We just have a phone and a TV, and, and we can send messages all the time. Many of us don't even, we can't even calm down. Like you're in your bed and you're still like, <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> Trying to unwind. How are you unwinding? I'm just, just, this is what I'm doing. I'm just unwinding, unwinding, which is like scientifically disproven. If you're on your phone before you go to bed, you probably have a worse night's sleep. We're, we're anxious, but it's normal. We have inner turmoil that's normalized. You say, well, how do you even know like if that's happening? Because you'll start to have numbness. You'll stop, like when's the last time you were just in wonder of what God has done? And you just looked up at a cloud and were like, wow, God, you're amazing. You looked at the rain, just like, wow, God, you're filling the earth again. We, stop, we, we, we grow numb to things like compassion. Who has time for compassion? We stop feeling awe. Probably a great sign is joy. You could be in a very joyful time. You just don't feel it anymore. You could be in a great moment, but you don't even have the capacity to feel joy. It's just like, great, get the shot. Let's go. We take on more than we can handle. We have a restless mind that won't shut down. And like Martha, we feel like the weight of everything is on us to produce, to perform. Now, you got to understand, I love to work hard, so I'm not talking about working hard. I am preaching to myself. I love to work. I love to produce. I love to see results. Like, I, I love those things. Like, I enjoy them. But at the very same time, I also have to be mindful as your pastor that the world does not rest on my shoulders, and neither does our church. Because if you won't la rest, you won't last emotionally, but you also won't last relationally. This is where we feel it probably more than anywhere. And I want you to think about people closest to you, not people that are far away from you, people that are closest to you, where you're super irritable and hypersensitive with. Like, like some, some of us, from time to time, we live on an edge. 
And it's just like, yeah, just go ahead and push me. Just one little thing, boom, sets you off. There's kind of a, a, a distraction. You're not present all the time. We talk a lot about that in culture. We still struggle with it. There's frustration, just kind of a brewing frustration and irritability with people. People that are closest to us, especially. Like, we can put on the face. Everybody's like, I don't know why you think he or she is so crazy. I mean, at work, they're great. But then you get home, and it's like, you are a different person. Who are you? And then you know, you know, relationally, you just don't have time to deal with people. Like, if there's drama, you're just like, I got a meeting in the morning. I don't have energy for this. So you stop having critical conversations. You move away from intimacy because you just don't have the capacity for it. It's more easier to feel a little bit, when, when you're busy and hurried, superior. Your schedule means more than anything. Pride can kind of creep in, and then it could be family breakdown, relational breakdown, friendship breakdown. But I think the worst of this one is regret. Billy Graham said at the end of his life, he said he wished he would have done two things more, fasted and prayed, and traveled less so he could be with his family. It's like, wow. Graham was, was the man, but he's like, I would have I taken some of that back because I, I was still busy. Second, thirdly is we won't last physically. Some of you guys already get that, like health issues, you're overworking, not eating right, don't have time for the gym, not sleeping well, can lead to anxiety and depression. You cannot have clinical anxiety and then all of a sudden you live in a constant state of busyness and and it kind of grows on you. Depressed states, some of us gravitate towards substance. I'll talk about that in a minute. But you're just tired. Anybody just feel just tired all the time? Like, I don't even know why I'm tired. Can I get another cup of coffee? Right? I mean, we, we, we carry pills in our pockets. This is my little vitamin pack. Second service. So when I'm tired, pop these things, go again, another service. We just... It's, it's vitamin B complex. Relax. It's, vitamin, it's a vitamin B complex. Called Thrive. You can look it up. Sarah Kiyosho can, she can supply you. Um, so you just feel tired all the time. And it's, it's, just, it's just a show. You just, you're just exhausted a lot. And then lastly, probably that undergirds everything is we won't last spiritually. And so we'll live in it. Listen to this. We will live in a, in a constant state of escapist behavior to deal with our pain because it feels like too much work to go to God and deal with our soul. It just feels ah, I don't. God feels like work. Feels like another task. And so we just escape. We'll scroll, we'll binge, we'll throw ourselves into our work, we'll throw ourselves into church and ministry. And then we start to little by little disconnect from our identity. We start to get detached from our calling. We start to lose sight of who we are and who we're not. We give way to the urgent over the important. We start to live in denial. Some of you are thinking, I am not busy. Fine. I'm not telling you you are. I'm just asking for the Holy Spirit to speak to you if you are. Do you know I get, I get more hostility when I speak about rest than I speak about any other topic in our church? I'll get more pushback email. I'll be called a legalist. I'll, like everything on the planet. Because we're just, it's, it's warfare. We, we, we become uh, 
reactive rather than proactive, we start to find slippage in our spiritual practices with God, like Bible reading and prayer and worship. And then like Martha, we get frustrated and we go to God and we're like, get on board. Get on board. Rather than creating space for God to love us, to love him so that we can love others, who has time for that? Matter of fact, better yet, who has energy for that? Ronald Rollheiser says it this way. He says, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but to simply have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good or bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, sports stadium, and shopping mall. Maybe that's a little bit old. Um, And the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. So he's just like, listen, we're we're just habitually preoccupied. And the danger of what's at stake is not just our emotional health or, or to feel good or to feel a little bit less stressed. Our spiritual life hangs in the balance. And our capacity to give and to receive love by God so that we can really love and serve this world the way that God has called us to, to go and make disciples is at stake. So what do we do? It's a great question. And it's probably, listen, not going to be resolved in this message for all of us. But I'm hoping that maybe we can develop some new rhythms, some new patterns this year that would move us toward maturity and away from infancy. And I think we need to take heed to what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. I think we need to really examine our lives and be like, man, is this a problem for me? Ask people that are closest to you. My daughter told me the other day, confessions. It's like, dad, you've been on the phone a lot. It's like the worst words I want to hear because I know better. And I know it's all good stuff for good reasons, but it's not the time. Like that's my time with my kids. And so when I hear that, the first thing I want to do is I don't want to look. I want to give, give her a reason. Man, your dad is a pastor. We're reaching people. This is heaven and hell is in the balance. She's like, yeah, but you're still my dad. That's great. And now she knows a lot. She's like, I'm your first priority. You know, just things like that. We have to look. We have to ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is. And then walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. I love the next verse. Nobody ever reads this in church, but I think it's great. But you said we will not walk in it. So the Lord's like, hey, like we're at a crossroads. We're all making choices. Martha chose to get distracted. Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet, what will we do? That's the question. What will we do? 
The world is saying, hey, the pressure's on, and it's getting thicker. Stay busy. More gadgets, more productivity, more money, more success. Your identity and your value is depending on it. Have you looked at Instagram lately? You're falling behind. It's crazy out there. And you know what? Most of us, many of us are mature in here, and we're like, we don't agree. We know our identity is not found in that stuff. We know, but our schedules and our focus say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Again, it's not a bad theology, but it can still be a functional atheism where we know the right answer, but we're not living what we know to be true. So what is the ancient path that will bring us back to God's way? Well, I think there are several things. We're not going to solve busyness and hurry in this one little sermon, but I think this is a big one. Ready for this? Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember, keep it holy just means keep it set apart. This is, I'm going to get stoned for this today. I'm going to get emails, I'm telling you. And I'm going to re-declare over and over and over that I'm not going to be legalistic and we're gonna, I'm going to beat it up like crazy. This is not, I'm not telling you to Sabbath every day. I'm not, this is not a legalistic rule in your life. And even though I'll say that, I'll still get emails. Trust me. Because there's hostility towards this. We don't have any hostility towards thou shalt not lie or steal or commit adultery. Like God is telling his people right here, God is leading his people out of slavery. And he's like, thou shalt take a day off now. The Sabbath made his top 10 list of the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20 said, remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord, your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living in among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. And so the Sabbath day was a full 24 hours, 5 p.m. Friday night. Still to this day, uh, many practicing Jews till Saturday, 5 p.m. It was a full 24 hours of unplugging, ceasing. Right? You go to Israel today on the Sabbath. You get into an elevator, they have Sabbath elevators because they're like, you can't even push a button. It's considered work. There's power connected to it, right? Next level. And I'm not saying that's where we're going. So we're like, okay, I knew this church was weird. <laughs> but, but I think honestly, when I just tell you that, even though you have two days off, most of you have two days off a week, maybe one, this still seems so far-fetched of a reality. Some of you right now, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the Old Testament law. We're not bound by this anymore. Jesus is now our Sabbath. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said it very clearly. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to serve us, to restore us, not save us. Mark chapter 3 says, then he returned to his critics and says, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Because Jesus was getting flack for it. Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this the day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And he looked around at them angrily and was so deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to them, hold out. He said to the man, hold out your hands. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. The Sabbath has always been about restoration. It's always been about us being with God. We're not saved by uh, obeying rules. We are saved by placing our faith in Christ and his work on the cross alone, period. Period. We're not saved by this stuff. But there's benefits. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. 
that no longer would the, would the law be written on stones, but on our hearts. Like there's benefits to not lying and stealing, benefits to not committing adultery, and, and I would argue that there's benefits to honoring the Sabbath. Because to all those other things, even though we're not bound by them, there's still consequences if we neglect them, right? In our health, in our family, our relationships with God. Are you guys tracking with me? You guys okay? But let me just address again, because some are skeptical and you're like, this is, I know, I don't care what you say. You're legalistic. I have issues with this because I get attacked every single time. So I'm going to make sure I'm clear. But your job gives you a day off every week. Are you like in the office like, hey, this is legalism. Don't give me any days off. It's terrible. No. We're all grateful and we go into the office like, hey, uh, let's just have uh, Friday off and see I'm on the schedule. What's the problem here? I feel like when I talk about the Sabbath, I have to like sell a, a timeshare vacation. Like, like I have to make it like, it's going to be amazing, palm trees and beaches and, and there's going to be rest and honey and pancakes. It's going to be awesome. Because there's such a hostility in our culture. This is very countercultural to rest, hurry, busy, workaholism, materialism. This is the culture of our Western world. And so a Sabbath, like I said, it's spiritual warfare. There's principalities that don't want you to rest and be with God. There's principalities that say, welcome Jesus, just live like Martha and not like Mary. You can welcome him all day long, just don't sit with him. And so, so rest is a form of warfare. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was a sign of freedom. He was like, remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That's why the Lord God commanded you to rest on the Sabbath because slaves don't get a day off. He's like, no, this is a symbol of freedom. And you're like, you don't know my schedule, Pastor Matt. You don't know my job. You know what? Listen, they were slaves. The demand was always to produce more with little. 24-7 culture, life and death on the line if they didn't perform. Constantly driven by the Egyptians. Produce more. Go, go, go. Strong work ethics. They're traveling now in the desert with no freezer and no refrigerator. And God's like, listen, I want you to take a day off. Rest was foreign to them. They didn't even know what rest was. He's like, you're not slaves anymore. You can take a day off. But some of us, we are still enslaved to things and there's no freedom. God's like, you're no longer slaves to people. You're no longer slaves to performance. You're no longer slaves to what people think. You're no longer slaves to money and insecurity, fear and anxiety. Like, I want you to take some time because it wasn't also a sign of freedom but it was a sign of also trust. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you two days supply on the sixth day. Come on, everybody say, amen. So there will be enough for two days. But some didn't believe this. They're like, no way. So they hoarded. Worms ate it up the next day because God is like, I want you to trust me, dude. You don't think I'm big enough to provide for you? You don't think that I can work while you rest? So you're saying that you have to work all the time because you can produce better than I can? Woo. I want to teach you to trust and depend on me because you're going to be a powerful nation. You're going to have cities. You're going to have crops. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be successful in a lot of things that you do, and I don't want you to forget that it all started with me. So I'm going to build it into your schedule, a day to remember. Day to remember. If not, like Martha, we'll take up two much, we'll put too much on our plate. Why? Because everything depends and rides on us. And God's like, yeah, it's just not healthy. 
So how do we Sabbath? What does it mean? Let's get into the weeds a little bit. Number one is by ceasing. Shabbat, it means, Shabbat or Sabbath means to cease. It's a verb. So you don't have a Sabbath, you Sabbath. Does that make sense? And so what does it look like practically? In layman's terms, a Jewish writer says, says it this way. But the day of Sabbath, you're not competing for rewards. You're making time to relax and do nothing, no structure. There's reading and studying of scripture, playing with the family, taking a walk outside, enjoying creation, enjoying meals with friends, family, talking with each other with your mouth. Turn it off, right? Turn off the, the digital stuff. Pray and meditate. Intimacy with your spouse. And everybody said amen. It doesn't sound like a bad day. I mean, let's be honest. That doesn't sound like, oh, this is terrible. If we do this, for some of you, it's a bad day. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but, but the Sabbath is not about to-dos or, or don't-dos. There are no ought-tos or to-dos. You don't have to do these. These are just ideas that are restful and restorative to people. But you have your own personality. You have your own preference. You have, you're in a different, every, we're all in different stages of life. However, you connect to God and rest. If you're like, man, I just, I put in my earphones and I just go hit balls and I go golfing, go golfing. Like dinner with your family, turn everything off, have a long dinner. Get together with friends if you're single and do a Sabbath dinner where you can deeply talk and, you know, just go beneath the surface. And so, so again, there, this, is, this is not, does not have to be your list. A typical sundown would look from Friday, like I said, Friday evening to Saturday the same time for those that are still Orthodox Jews abiding by the law. But yours may look totally different. I don't know what your life and your schedule is like. It, you may do better on Sunday. You start off with church, and then that carries on into to the next morning. You just, man, you take that Sunday to be with God, to be with family, to be with friends, to, to slow down to meditate, to live in a moment of awe, wonder, to keep gratitude at the forefront. God, you are my provider. I feel like I got to do a thousand things right now, but I'm trusting you. I'm free. I'm not slaves to this stuff like the rest of the world is. I'm free. So it, it can be, you know, some of you guys have crazy routines. You're not off on the weekend, so do it on Monday. Or break it up on Monday and Friday with your family. If you, if you have a family, then maybe you do a couple hours here and a couple hours. There, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I'm not saying this is what you have to do, but I'm saying just find something and be consistent. Like, for example, I, I, would, I, I would say have a start and a finish time. Like, start, maybe you, you light a candle. Like, man, the game begins. We're resting. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe you start it off with a dinner or a breakfast that just kind of kicks off. And then have a solid ending time. You may end with a passage of scripture that you're reading. You may end with a blessing over your kids or your roommates. Imagine like if your roommates or, you know, some friends get together and like, man, we're about to wrap up. Man, our, our, our little couple hours of rest, man, let's pray for one another. That doesn't sound too bad to me. And then you can have a prep day, you know, get all your logistics done before that day. So that day you can turn off your phone. Or if that seems too out of control for you, like maybe just put it on do not disturb. Maybe do one hour instead of all day. Whatever works for you. Just don't fool yourself. Like really take the time to, to be with him. Does that make sense? If you, if you struggle with this, here's a couple questions to ask. If you're like, man, I wouldn't even know what to do with a couple hours. 
Just ask a few questions. What about my regular routine? What I need to stop to experience the Sabbath? What is restful for me? What brings me an easy delight? What is worshipful? What's a worshipful way that I can connect with God? So you want to start by ceasing. Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> Some of us, we need this. And then lastly, by worshiping. Like it's, it's, it's a, a, a time, it's an hour, it's a day to reset our hearts and worship. Worship is simply we're just bowing down to the one who is greater than all things, who's our provider, who's the Lord of our life. Are you guys with me on that? And we're taking a day to say, God, you're great. I know who you are and I'm, 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 I'm realizing again and I'm making sure that I'm clear of who I'm not. I'm not God. You are my provider. You are my provision. Your presence, there's a fullness of joy. To acknowledge God that, that day or that hour or, or that midday, to acknowledge him in everything that we do. Do a digital detox. Just, man, and can I just tell you, if you get away from digital stuff, you're gonna have some withdrawals. Just let it happen. It's true. Like you're gonna be like, oh, my phone. Am I good? Social media, stop the scroll. Are you, guys, are you guys still with me? Don't fall asleep on me now. Don't Sabbath right now. Like lean in right now. A Sabbath is not just trying to get something from God. It's, it's, it's to be with God. It's to be with God. Like there are endless benefits to the Sabbath, to resting. But we're, we're not just doing it for the benefits, right? In the same way we don't enter into marriage and like, hey, what can I get from you today? So excited. No, no, we get into the marriage because... We love the person. We want to be with them for the rest of our lives. That is the prize, not what we can extract from it. We are so transactional. It's, it's so like I'm ending my sermon and there's no music in the back. See, silence. In my heart right now, I'm struggling. I'm like, dude, like where are we at? Like, you know what I mean? Just playing, just playing, I'm just playing. Well, our piano player called in. Uh, he's sick today. So we're praying for Luis if you're tuning in. Uh, so everybody's improvising. But, but I, I'm saying that because I feel it. I'm like, dude, I'm ending. And I don't have the, oh, just makes the ending so much better. Why? Because it's silent. It's a perfect example. Do this again next service. This is a great example. But it's, it's to be with you. Pastor James and I sometimes we'll rent motorcycles and we'll just go. Some of the best times of worship I had recently is just I have worship in my ears and we're just on the road. 360 degree view, just worshiping God, just me and him. I have a helmet. Can't talk, can't really do much on a bike. It's just beautiful. And we're looking at the hills and the ocean. See, he's like a time I gotta sell it. Just kidding. That's real. It's it's beautiful. Martha, man, she struggled with this, but Mary, he said, You were so worried and upset about so many things. But only few are needed, the Lord said to Martha. Or indeed, he said, only one. And Mary has chosen. Wow. That was a moment. Can you click on the next slide for me? It's okay. You are forgiven. It's just one of those days. Mary has chosen. What is better? She's chosen. I don't know. You can, just, you can just leave it. It's cool. Just leave it. Oh, go to the, go to the end. 
Oh, thank you, Jesus. She has chosen what is better. And look what the Lord said, and that will not be taken away from her. Listen, guys, there are a lot of good things, but there are better things. I've never had a family day. We have a family fun day every week where we just kind of disengage, and it's just all about our time. And that's when my daughter was like, hey, so I just noticed uh, kind of violating that day, Dad. I never get it to the end of a family fun day and like, man, that was a terrible day. I'm so bummed I did that. I never get to a time of retreat or a time alone with God and multiple times throughout my day and just be like, man, I was so bummed. Can I just tell you that there's no regrets when you're with him. You'll never regret that. You'll regret a lot of other good things, but the better things will never be taken away from you. It's, it's, it's being with him. When we step outside of our limitations, it nullifies our dependence on him. We think we're God. It robs you of your freedom, your peace, your joy, your love. So I'm just going to end with this, Psalm 92. I just want to read it to you real quick and we're done. You can stand to your feet, actually. It says, it is good to praise the Lord, to sing praise to your name, Most High, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. With 10 strings, harp, and the music of a lyre, you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hand. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. The wicked, they sprout up like grass and evildoers may flourish, but they will eternally be destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You've lifted my horn like that of a wild ox. So there's restoration and there's strength. You've anointed my head with oil. My eyes look down on my enemies, my ears. Hear evildoers when they attack me. But the righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like cedars in the tree of Lebanon. Meaning if you rest, you'll last because this is a song of, of the Sabbath. This is a song declaring his wonder and who he is and who we are and who he is to us. And he says this, they will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare the Lord is just. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Could you imagine like that? A Sabbath day, you could take the morning and the evening, maybe even a lunch break. Just take a moment where you're reading some scripture. You're being still for a couple of minutes. Maybe just take five. Being quiet. Let the awkward silence be there, just you and God. Read a psalm. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's not just by ceasing, it's by worshiping. It's taking time throughout your day to acknowledge who he is in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night. Are you with me? It'll be like a trellis. Vine needs a trellis to bear the maximum fruit. It needs some assistance in its rhythm to produce what is maximum. Without a trellis, it'll bear fruit. So don't look at it as a law, don't look at it as a rule, look at it as a, as, look at the Sabbath as a trellis to develop a rhythm in your life so that we can draw close to God and bear much fruit. If you don't rest, you won't last. God wants to give you a real rest. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much 
that Yahweh real rest is found in you, Jesus, in Christ alone. Lord, I thank you that because of your work on the cross at the end, you said it is finished. So we could look at our lives and our schedules and our busyness and we could say it is still finished. You are still Lord over all. You still conquered hell, death, sin. Lord, we rest in you. Our identity is found in you. Our meaning is found in you. I can't think of a better way to live my life than moments, not just a weekly or a daily, but in every moment, acknowledging you in all of my ways. I'm not a slave. I can trust you. You are God and I am not. And that there's real rest found in you and in you alone. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.